Our gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This um, is a passage you might expect for a day like today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which will be found on page 1501 in the Pew Bibles. Not sure what's going on here. That's weird. I'm just going to stand away from that. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that you would give us a greater understanding of who you are, a greater understanding of your love for your people. Lord, help us um, to understand that love as something that is not um, given just generally, but personally, even to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live to live differently, to live as people who are being changed by your love and to people who love you and love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Turning then to... Our epistle lesson, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, this is how he begins. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to our sermon text. Go all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 10 through 17. 
be found on page 1071 in your pew Bibles. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so you know, you know that God does things that you don't expect him to do. And he does things even that he's promised to do in ways that you still don't expect it to happen or to take place. And so this morning as we came and we started reading from Matthew, this story of Jesus' birth being announced to Joseph, and we say, yes, that's what we expect on Christmas Eve morning. And then we jump back to Isaiah and we read something from 730 years, roughly, before Jesus was born. We say, this is what we're going to talk about today. That's not exactly what I was expecting. And in fact, not only are we going to talk about this particular passage, but we're going to talk about its larger context, which has to do with the Syro-Ephraimite War, which I'll probably have to give you a little bit of uh, background on that one. Probably very few of you are like, oh yeah, I know the details there. We'll talk about that. Not what you were expecting when you came in today. Why in the world are we going to do that? I'll tell you why. <laughs> because when, G- when Matthew was writing about the birth of Jesus, this is where his mind went. His mind goes to the Syro-Ephraimite war and to the promise that Isaiah, or that God gives through Isaiah to King Ahaz and says, I'm going to give you a sign. And Matthew's like, oh my goodness. I see it now in a way that nobody from the time of Isaiah all the way through had understood that God was going to do things. But yet, 700 and some years before Jesus is born, God says, here's a sign. And uh, like I say, it's not what people expected it to be. So let's get a little bit of background here so we just understand what in the world was going on there. Uh, because if you just read the passage that we read, it sounds like, what was the problem? Right? We have Isaiah <clears throat> saying to Ahaz, whoever he is, ask the Lord your God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to put the Lord my God to a test. And we say, hey, that's what Jesus said in the wilderness. I think this Ahaz guy has it right. And then immediately, uh, Isaiah says, shame on you. <laughs> that was the wrong answer. And we're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Let's just flip back to the New Testament. That makes more sense. <laughs> but let's back up a bit and find out who this Ahaz guy is and what the situation is and why it is that when he says what he does, that is not the right answer. So here's what's going on. Ahaz is actually the king of Judah. And in in the whole nation of Israel, there had been a split pretty early on once they started having kings. And so you've got uh, King Saul, and then you have King David. We've heard his name a few times today, son of David sort of thing, the family of David, house of David. And then he has a son, Solomon. And then after that, 
that's it. I mean, the whole nation splits into two, and you have what is in the north, still known as Israel, and what is known in the south as just Judah, because that is the largest tribe left in, uh, in the south. And at this point, what's happening is you have, and it's been generations of kings on <laughs> from that initial split, and what's happening at this point is you have uh, a king in Israel and a king over in, uh, in Aram, <laughs> in Syria, and he is, and the, these two are terrified, actually, because there's another king over in Assyria who is becoming the leading superpower in the whole region. In fact, about 15 years after he becomes the king uh, in Assyria, Assyria is just dominating everything in the whole Middle East. They have just about everything. That empire spread. And that's what's going on right here. And these two kings, <laughs> Israel and uh, Syria, they see this happening and they're afraid because he's coming for them. And so they decide, here's what we need to do. We need to join together and fight him, but we can't do it enough. We can't do it on our own. We need to get this king from Judah to join us. So they go originally to um, Ahaz's dad, who was king at the time, Jotham, and they say, hey, join us. Fight against this guy. Fight against Assyria. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so then, by the time Ahaz is king, these two kings are still upset about this, and they say, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to join together and attack Judah first. And if we can attack Judah and get rid of that king, then we can put in another king of our own choosing, and that guy will join with us, and then we can combine all of our military forces, and maybe we'll stand a chance against Assyria. I know it's confusing. I hope you're following along. So that's what's happening at this point. And, um, and this is why the earlier part that we didn't read is uh, that Ahaz is actually out checking his water supply in Jerusalem. And God says, Isaiah, go to the king, go to Ahaz, He's, meet him by the water supply, and give him this word. Now, why is he by the water supply? He knows he's getting ready to get attacked. The city is going to be walled in. They're going to be under siege. And it's going to be very important that they still have uh, clean water in the city so they can last as long as possible under siege. So he goes to him there. And here's the first thing God tells him to say. He says, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Now, if you're Ahaz and you're already checking the water supply because these two kings are gunning for you, and then some guy shows up and says, God told me to tell you, don't be afraid. How, how do you respond? Okay, I won't be afraid then. Or you're like, look, I don't have time for that right now. I've got plans to make. I've got things to do. I've got a military campaign that has got to get run here. I've got negotiations to make, and that's exactly where, I, where Ahaz is. In fact, what we see him do next is not uh, trust God, but instead he goes roundabout to Assyria and sends a tribute payment there and says, hey, how about I just join up with you now? Which, of course, is not what God is wanting him to do. Be that as it may. He says, uh, 
Do not. Do not. Where was the? I just. Oh, there it is. Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. That's what God calls these other kings. Because of the fierce anger of reason and, and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the king of Tabeel over it. Yet, there's the son of Tabeel, king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin with 65 ye- within 65 years. Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. All right, all of that is God is saying, these two kings that are coming after you and you're afraid of them, let me tell you why you don't need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid because I have already made promises that I'm going to keep to David's line and his family, and you are, <laughs> Jerusalem's not going to fall. You don't need to be afraid. In fact, who's going to fall are these two kings that are coming after you. And so, he says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord for your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So what he's saying is, you do not need to be afraid. I am going to fight your battles for you. I am going to make sure that these kings do not overpower you, that they do not take you. And if you are still not convinced, ask me. Ask me for anything you want to, and I will prove it to you that this is the case. And Ahaz says, no, no thanks. I'm not going to trust you on this. I'm not going to trust you to ask for a sign. I'm not going to trust you to do what you're going to say that you're going to do. And so I'm going to go around and I'm going to trust in the king of Assyria instead of in the Lord, the God of Israel. This is the problem. This is why it is that God uh, is saying, okay, then here's, here's going to be the problem for you. Ahaz is in a position where he has given a clear choice. You can respond in faith to God or you can respond in fear to your circumstances. That's his position. Here's why it's weird, or why we're talking about this even on Christmas Eve, and you go, this is kind of a weird story to be telling on Christmas Eve, but that is the case for all of us every day. We are in a position of having to decide between are we going to have faith in God or are we going to have fear for our circumstances? That's our position. Now, Ahaz, by the way, you can read about him uh, in Second Kings and Second Chronicles, Second Kings sixteen, Second Chronicles twenty-eight. And I would recommend you do so. This was this is a guy who does not have a history of trusting God. He is one of the bad kings of Judah when it comes to trusting God or not. In fact, he went so far as to sacrifice one of his own children to a pagan god. This is something that God had clearly again and again said, do not do this. But Ahaz is not trusting God. He's afraid. And so he's trying to cover his bases with as many other gods as possible, even if it means killing one of his own children, sacrificing to a pagan god. He builds and worships different gods at different high places and hills around. And in fact, he even goes at one point to Damascus in Syria and he finds a, uh, 
he finds an altar built there to a foreign god, and he's like, you know what? I kind of like the looks of this thing. That, that is what a real altar ought to look like. And so he has one of his priests kind of take notes, come back to Jerusalem, and build an altar like that. And he gets rid of the altar that God told people to build. And then he starts redoing the whole temple. So where the temple that God set up and said, this is how you are to worship me, and this is the way that it's to be set up, and this is the way to approach me, and he just dismantles it and starts going after other gods. This is what has been sort of his modus operandi the whole time that he's been king. This is why it's so crazy that God is still coming to him. See, at this point, it would make a lot of sense if God were to say to Ahaz, these two kings are coming for you because you've turned away, and this is what you get. But instead, he says, Isaiah, we're going to go to Ahaz. We're going to go to him one more time. We're going to give him one more chance. Turn to me and be saved. And Ahaz says, no, thank you. And so he responds in fear instead of in faith. And he responds by trying to make practical uh, maneuverings instead of trusting God. Now, if you know the story of Israel's history, you know that this is the kind of thing that has happened repeatedly throughout their story. And as we've been reading through Genesis all the way through Ruth at this point, we have seen over and over again the times that God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a, have a military campaign that doesn't look like a normal military campaign. I want you to just march around the city of Jericho a bunch of times for like a week. And don't worry, I'll give you the city. That's not normal. But they respond by trusting God instead of responding by fear of circumstances. And they're victorious. We see the same thing with Gideon against the Midianites where he has a small amount of troops and God shrinks it down to a, just the tiniest of troops and says, now what I want you to do is just get some um, trumpets and torches and then yell a lot. And you will overcome absolutely incredible odds. And you'll take them. Not normal. But they respond by trusting in God and doing things his way. And sure enough, God keeps his promises. And he is the faithful one, and he goes before them. And so now he says to Ahaz, this is what I'm saying to you. Trust me in this. And Ahaz has every reason, if he knows his history, every reason to trust in God he doesn't do it. He trusts uh, his eyes and his feelings and his fear instead of trusting in God. And so what happens, he says, okay, I'm going to bring the king of Assyria. That's who you want to come protect you. That's who's going to actually come. And they're going, the king of Assyria will wipe out these other two kings, so you don't need to worry about them anymore. But he's also going to make it really miserable for you. In fact, he's going to come so far into, um, into Judah It's going to come all the way up to Jerusalem, and everything in your land is going to be pretty bad off. And it's in, well, hang on, one one more thing before we get to that. I'm going to flip over to the book of Jonah. If you're familiar with the prophet Jonah, he is, um, it's kind of weird he's even called a prophet. Um, Jonah, who runs away from God instead of doing what God says to do, and of course, sure could have gone easier had he just done what God said. But anyway, 
He has this one line while he's actually in the belly of a fish. And if you know anything about the story of Jonah, that's the part you know about. Uh, while he's in the belly of the fish, he actually prays this prayer to God. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, he mentions something that I think has a lot to do with Ahaz's situation, with our situation. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Read that again. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Ahaz is in a situation where he is afraid, and so what he wants to do, the way he responds to this, is he tries to cover all his bases, tries to hedge his bets. I will worship that God, I will worship that God, I will make sacrifice to this one, and to that one, and to that one, and to that one, and to that one. And what he thinks he's doing is ensuring his position that one of them has got to do something for me, right? Somebody's got to do something. And what we hear from Jonah here is exactly right. What he's saying is, Ahaz, you are turning away from God's love for you. That's what's really going on. You're not ensuring your position in any way. You're turning away from the love that God has for you. He wants good things for you. That's why he sent Isaiah to you, to give you this message. Don't be afraid. But stand firm in your faith. Of course, he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so through Isaiah, God is giving Ahaz this message of love for you, good things for you. Will you receive it? And instead, he turns away from that to cling to idols that are worthless and can do nothing for him. It's in this that we get this, uh, <laughs> this sign that Isaiah then gives. He says, ask for a sign of any kind. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. Not because he doesn't want to be safe, but because he, he thinks he's got this managed through other means. And so Isaiah says, okay, here's, here's a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's what it's going to be. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before, <clears throat> for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people in your house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. What is this a sign of? I told you it's not something anybody expected by Matthew's day. Um, because it was just a sign for Ahaz. And if this was a promise that was specifically just about Jesus, this is not going to be a sign for Ahaz to say, all right, Ahaz, listen up. 700 and some years from now, there's going to be a child born. Watch for it. Well, I'll be dead by then. So no. Instead, he says, no, here's what's going to happen. This is the sign for you. There's going to be a a baby that's born that's not yet been conceived, but this baby is now going to be conceived and is going to be born. And then in that amount of time, before that uh, child is even old enough to know right from wrong, they're going to be living off the land because Assyria is going to come in. They will destroy the kings you're afraid of. The problems that you have now, you're not going to have then. But you're going to have new problems. 
But that will be the sign to you that there will be this child who will be born, will be conceived, will be born. And when they're still young, you'll see this happen. In other words, you're not going to have to wait a long, long time for God to fulfill the promise to get rid of these two kings that are threatening you. He's going to do it. He's going to do it even though you didn't trust him. However, it's going to be bad for you um, the way that it turns out now because you're trusting in Assyria anyway. And the point is, when this happens, Ahaz ought to be able to look at this and say, oh, it did go exactly like God said it would. It didn't take a long time. Before this child is even this old, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that is why this child is going to be called Emmanuel. Because this is, sign, this is a sign that God is with us. That he is with his people. That he is at work in our lives and in our situations. And it is because of this, this God with us, that we have every reason not to turn away from him and cling after worthless idols, but to cling to him and trust in his love for us. This is the reason, I hope now, as you see this whole context of everything, that when Matthew starts talking about Jesus being born, he says, you know what? I remember God talking a long time ago in the story to Ahaz and Isaiah said to him, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. He said, this is the same thing that we see going on now, is Mary having, uh, having Jesus. And this is now a sign to us, not in a way that people expected, in a very different way. And yet is that same sign that God is with us, that he does love us, that we don't have to turn away from him and we don't have to uh, chase after other worthless idols if we know and believe and trust that he does love us and that he is with us. This is why a strange story from 700 years before Jesus is still appropriate for a Christmas Eve day. Because our situation is the same. Maybe not exactly the same as Ahaz. But it is the same in the sense that we have that option. Respond, react in fear, or respond in faith. And the way that we either react in fear or respond in faith will depend an awful lot on the answer to the question, do you believe that God loves you? If you believe that God does not love you, you will react in fear every time. If you believe that God loves you, you can respond in faith trusting that he is with you. He does care about you. He knows what you're going through. And if you ever are wondering, well, how can I know? Let this be a sign to you. There was a virgin who gave birth to a son. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Because of this, know for sure that God loves you. And when you're tempted to run after all the idols our culture has to offer, when you are tempted to sacrifice your own children to those various idols, remember, God loves you. 
Emmanuel. Turn back to him. Cling to him. Trust him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.